Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Hey, Beth. Hey, Christy. How are you? Great. My Why kids went back like to school been... today. Oh, yes. No. That's exciting. It is. I feel like it's been forever since we've like done this, even though it hasn't been that long. But I feel like it's been a long time. Well, you've time. had a birthday. And now yes. you're older. So, you know, older. your memory could be less. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the last time we did this. But I'm excited your kids are back in school. What, uh, did you have a good day? We had a great day. Let me tell you this story about this when my kids were back in school today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was in carpool for the first time in, you know, a year. <laughs> long time. A long time. And... My oldest, who is 10, he just turned 10. He's a birthday really close to Christy, by the way. My little Aries babies. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Mom, do you remember? Okay, so like maybe a year and a half ago, I had this really old minivan. Mm -hmm. Do you remember my old minivan? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a real clunker. (laughs) She was a beaut. She'd been with me through a lot, but she was, you know, she was old. Mm-hmm. And one time we were sitting in carpool in the morning and I was dropping my kids off and there was like this honking, this like annoying. Do you know the story? Okay. I don't so there was this annoying honk. I mean, like just somebody was honking just constantly. And we're, I mean, we live in the South. So you just don't honk at people. It's just not what mm-hmm. you do. Like if somebody honks at you at a red light, you're like, they are definitely not from here. Right. You just don't do it. And mm-hmm. somebody kept honking in carpool and we're in carpool. So we're like, we can't go anywhere. We're stuck here until we can drop our kids off. What are you honking at? And so then my oldest is like, mom, I think that's us. <laughs> I think we're honking. I'm like, I'm not honking. I am not honking. My van, my minivan was electronically sick (laughs) and honking. I totally remember you telling me this. Laying on the horn like, (laughs) like that. It was so obnoxious. And I'm just sitting there in the middle of carpool. I can't go anywhere. Because I'm stuck. There's people in front of me. There's teachers looking at me. There's other parents looking at me. And I'm like, it's not me. Like, here's my my hands. hands My hands are up. (laughs) It's not me honking. It was my van. It was my minivan. It had a problem. She was sick. I sold her. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so he reminded me of that today. He's like, hey, mom, do you remember that one time, like, a year and a half ago when we were in carpool and our horn was honking? (laughs) uncontrollably and it was so embarrassing for everybody oh my gosh oh my gosh that's so funny i've heard that happening before but really it's funny that it yeah i have I've never actually, heard of that honestly until it happened to me and it, it still even to this day i don't know anybody it's happened to yeah i feel like i knew somebody else but i can't remember the story but Maybe it's you. It's terrible. It was terrible. But yeah, I can't imagine it being like, I remember hearing somebody like driving down the road with that (laughs) happening. It's worse than carpool. I was just going to say, carpool (laughs) is way worse because like if you're just driving down, you're like, oh gosh, driving down the highway, like whatever. I'm going to pass you. I'm never going to see you again. I'm sitting in carpool with these people and they're waving at me like, are you okay? Are you having an emergency situation? (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. It was terrible. Oh my gosh. That's so I'm funny. going to the dealership tomorrow. I'm so sorry. I'm on the phone with them getting an appointment right now. I'm not aggressively attacking you with my horn. <laughs> oh anyway. My gosh, so funny. there you go. That was me today in Carpo laughing that's about awesome. <laughs> I'd be laughing about it too. <laughs> it's a good story. It is a good story. That's awesome. But we've had big celebrations here. We did. So I celebrated my birthday. Then we had your son's birthday. <laughs> the Big Ten. The Big Ten. And today, today! guys, I'm going to cheers this. So you're going to have to pull up the slack when I... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I 17 years cancer-free, guys, today, as of recording day. Not, not as of episode drop day, but recording day, 17 years cancer-free. So it's freaking huge. Bomb. Huge bomb yeah like i'm excited i actually to earlier today was thinking about it i've been thinking about it a lot lately because i've lost some friends over the last couple of years and so it's like hitting me differently to cancer and, yes to cancer and so it hits me differently th- for whatever reason well for that reason this year and i was literally sitting there today thinking like gosh when it hits 20 i want to do something like it's like my 20th birthday or something <laughs> like oh 100 like, 20 years <laughs> So I'm excited that it's 17. So yay. Yay. Cheers. I cheers. have to drink now. Cheers. Congratulations to being a badass cancer survivor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Think you. Like. I'm pretty excited about it. You should be. <laughs> yeah. Emery actually mentioned it at dinner today because we go around the table and say favorite part of the day. Everybody has to pick their favorite part of the day. Whether you had a terrible day or not, you have to find something good about the day. So anyway, his favorite part of the day was realizing that it was the 17th anniversary. And so he was explaining it and Xavier looked over, which I was actually surprised that he even knew this, but he was like, so wait, you had cancer longer than you've been married? Like you didn't have it when you had it before you got married? And I was like, how do you even know how long we've been married? But no, I got cancer like a month after we got married. So married just a little bit longer. Then, and you know what's so sweet? You know what my favorite part of the day is? Besides that, we still have you with us throughout cancer Mm -hmm. and cheers, cheers. But that our sons were on the phone for like an hour today. Oh yes, I know. I told Emery that too. It was so so sweet. They caught like the phone rang, and my little one ran to the phone and was like, "It's my bestie." And an hour later, comes downstairs and is like, "We were on the phone for a long time." I know. I, I think they only got off because I called him for dinner. <laughs> yes, like he said that. He was like, because Xavier had to go because we had to have dinner. So yeah. that's so great. And that by the way, sense. in the beginning of their conversation, I heard him say, we should start a podcast for blah, blah, blah. And then he was like walking out the, the door. And I was like, oh, oh no, gosh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we have all the equipment. So bring yeah. it. We can do it. They can do <laughs> we it. Got they can do it. We can figure it out. <laughs> what a great anyway. day. Congratulations, Miss Christie. Thanks. So now that we talked about surviving, would you like to hear a murder story? Yes. But no, sure? but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, this is actually a suggestion we got a little while back from Kristen. So, um, and I'm finally getting to it. it Kristen, wait for us, Kristen. Yes. Yay. Hi, Kristen. So thank you for the suggestion. It was definitely an interesting case to look into. Um, pretty straightforward, but awful. Awful. Anyway. So here we go. 
This happened back in 1982. <clears throat> um, on August 2nd, 1982, Bob and Jackie Johnson packed up their 1979 Plymouth with their two daughters, Janet, who was 13, and Karen, who was 11. I still can't get through saying that name without <laughs> thinking something. Also, Janet. Yeah, Janet's not that common, common yeah. is it? and that's a real time capsule. I definitely had a friend named Jan- Janet in elementary school. You did? remember her last name but anyway so janet and karen and they headed out for a two-week camping trip oh i know it partially sounds fun but not something that i would actually do well in 82 i guess maybe but i I don't even think in 82 i would (laughs) have i was only four (laughs) i was one i was one year old yeah shut up Anyway, <laughs> so they were going to meet Jackie's parents, George and Edith Bentley. And George, George and Edith would be driving their 1981 Ford Camper Special. Which yes. Is basically, you know what that is? Yes. Basically a pickup truck with a camper in the bed of the truck, essentially. Yes. Did you have one? <laughs> no, but we were friends with families that had it. And we were like, man, if only... I know. I mean, I saw the pictures of it and I was like, that thing looked badass for that time. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also loaded a 10 foot aluminum boat on the top of that so that they could have a boat to, you know, float around in and fish in. I'm sure they all traveled from Kelowna, British Columbia. So this is a Canadian case. Okay. Yes. Kelowna is about two hours from the U.S. border in Washington and about four hours east of Vancouver, if you have knowledge of Canada, which I had to look up. Of Canada. Canada. Bob and Jackie were to meet Edith and George on the 2nd near Wells Gray Provincial Park, which is about three and a half hours north of where they lived. The family set up camp just outside of the entrance of Wells Gray Park, on the site of Old Bear Creek Prison Camp. No. Which let me just, yeah, let me just explain that real quick. In 1957, a minimum security prison was built there and eventually a sawmill was built in the area about a, a couple of miles away from that. And the inmates were trained. So it's minimum security. So no. guys that didn't do, okay, still no. not okay with you. No. Um, they were trained in areas of welding, saw, file, or mechanic, and a millwright so that it would improve their chances of gaining employment outside of, the hit, of prison once they got and out. And then they're so, like, you know what we should do by this minimum security prison? Make a campsite. No, no, no. So the mill that was um, a little bit up the road from the prison, in 1978, they moved the prison to closer to the mill. So they took that, that prison away. And then it just became like this empty area that people, it was just a convenient place for people to camp overnight that okay. may have been heading in the direction and maybe just didn't want to enter the park and have to get to a certain point. So they would like kind of ca- camp there overnight or whatever. But okay, this family happened to set up camp in this spot for their two week trip. So um, that's okay. So anyway, the two families set up camp there on August 6th. Edith made a call to her other daughter. So Edith is Jackie's mom, Bob and Jackie. Edith is Edith and George are Jackie's parents. She made a call to her other daughter just to let them know that they're doing well. They're having a great time. 
I'm not sure where she maybe she went into like a store or something and like made a call from a payphone. I don't really know because clearly this is like 82 and <laughs> it's not like they had their cell phones ready right, right. to call. Definitely so, a payphone. Right. But this was the last contact that anybody had with any member of the family. And on August 16th, Bob was due back to work and he didn't show up. And in the 20 plus years that he'd been working there, he had never missed a day. So this was extremely odd for him to just not show up, not call, nothing. And after a week, the coworkers called in a missing persons report on August 23rd, 1982. And the RS, R, not RS, RCMP. I always have a hard time with that acronym, but that's the Royal Canadian Mount, Mountain Police. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. Kicked into gear. And they searched the area that they were supposed to be in because clearly Edith had already called another daughter, so she kind of knew where they were supposed to be. But they found no trace of them. And on September 13th, so this is several weeks later, uh, mushroom pickers came across a burnt car, and it was similar to the car that the Johnsons had been driving. And it was located in a clearing just off of a mountainside logging road which I had to look that up because I'm not, <laughs> no idea what the logging road is, but basically it's like this, this narrow kind of path that they would use to haul the logs away when they were cutting down trees. Also mushroom pickers. Right. I know. Mushroom pickers. Like what do you, that's a job. Where was that when I was trying to figure out my career? Right. I mean, <laughs> I might, I might give it a shot actually. <laughs> you know, I like to go out and do random little things. I might try mushroom picking at some point. <laughs> So this logging road was about 13 miles from the campsite that the family was staying on. And so the mushroom pickers call the police who come out to investigate. And inside of the back seat of the car, they find the burnt bones of what looks like several people. And when they opened the trunk of the car, they found some more bones in the trunk. <clears throat> the bones in the back seat were identified as a adult bones and the ones in the trunk were later identified as two young girls or two young children okay but wait was the car burned did you say that the whole car was burned okay okay they set the car on fire with Mm -hmm. got it with yes yeah we'll get to the exact details but yes the whole car the everything inside was burned forensic investigation showed that all of the people had been shot with a 22 caliber gun and then basically cremated because an accelerant was used to burn the car. Locals had seen the family camped at Bear Creek, so the RCMP went there in that area because clearly they you know they have no idea where these people came from. Um, but they knew that this was a missing the missing family. And so when they showed pictures, some people had said, "Oh yeah, we saw them. This is where they were camping, blah blah blah." So they go to this campsite and they recover six 22 caliber ammunition shells beer caps and full bottles of a brand of beer that Bob was known to drink. These bottles were like cooling in a creek nearby. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And two sticks with sharp ends, which were assumed to be used to roast marshmallows by the girls, possibly. <clears throat> oh, oh, gosh. I know. However, the Bentley's truck slash camper and the boat was nowhere to be found. So they, they just find this car with, Four body or four bodies in the back seat, and then two in the trunk. 
The RCMP traced all leads that came in, but they were all dead ends. They questioned lots of local people because they felt that the crime was committed by a local person because of where the car was found. It was kind of a remote area on this logging road that most likely only locals would really kind of know about. The chances of some random person coming across this is pretty slim, I guess. You know, like if you're, you know committing a murder and having to hide a body then all of a sudden like you randomly come across this logging road that you can get rid of everybody in they didn't think that was too plausible so months go by huh i said got it okay (laughs) (laughs) months go by they were there randomly well but that not so randomly because they were going to the park this logging road was 13 miles from where they were actually camping Got it. So, yeah. Months go by and they're getting nowhere in their investigation. <clears throat> so on April, in April of 1983, they decide to do a TV reenactment of the murders, which I'm sorry. I would love to see a TV reenactment from 1983 because I'm sure it was fantastic. Oh, Not fantastic. My. <laughs> of a murder. But you know what I mean? Like totally cheesy. Yes. <laughs> Why would they do that? They were just hoping that it, they showed it all across Canada and they were hoping that it would bring some new leads. Like somebody might remember hearing something, seeing something around that time. Okay. I don't know. So nothing came of that, though. Clearly it didn't work. The police then made an exact replica of the Bentley's camper and strapped a boat to the top of it and drove it from British Columbia to Quebec and back in May of 1983, hoping that someone would see it and remember something. Um, okay, 80s, the Korean police. What? It it seems very strange to do that. Like, I mean, there had to be several of these on the road, especially in an area that's like, you know, very national park. (laughs) They have a lot of national parks there. So I'm sure there's a lot of campers there. Anyway, I don't know. That just seems very animated. Yes. And they're just driving it. And they would let people know in the towns that they were coming to that they were coming and that it was just a replica, (laughs) but they were just wondering it was going to bring up a lead. I don't know. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but they were getting creative. They really wanted to figure out what happened to this family. Well, okay. Kudos. Um, so I also actually along the lines of this, of the reenactment and making a replica of the um, camper that this, at this time, of the killings, this was the costliest investigation in Canadian history. Oh, I believe it. Right. I mean, I don't, it may still be. <laughs> I did not check into it, but it really may still be because I can't imagine that anybody's ever done anything like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. However, I will say they did receive 1,300 alleged sightings, but none of those panned out. <laughs> so 1,300 and none of them panned out? Okay. No. None of them. Lots of man hours wasted chasing down dead you know, end leads. And it just irritates me that people that like call in for sightings and they don't really know that they have really seen the thing that they should be seeing that would assist. It's such a waste of resources. Like, don't do that. Right, right. Yeah. 1,300 yeah. of you? Some people, I'm sure, really thought, oh, I saw this camper and I, you know, saw these people driving it or whatever and they were going in this direction. And, you know, didn't think they were lying, but there's definitely, there has had to be some just blatant lies in there out of 1,300. Come on. So 
After 14 months of searching, the Bentley's truck slash camper was found by some forestry workers on another old logging road near a different mountain, kind of like on the other side of the mountain that they had found the car on. It was about 15 miles from where the car was found. Okay. Lots of parks and logging roads in that area, clearly, because like, the chances of you finding two different logging roads, I feel like, in here might be impossible. But Yes, we don't log here. We farm here. <laughs> this truck was also burnt using some sort of accelerant. And it was in such a remote and hard to get to area that they had to lift it out of that spot with a helicopter. Oh, so gosh. Was, yeah, really hard to get to. So, And when they did, they brought it to a crime lab and tested it, but nothing came of it. And But where they found it kind of convinced the RCMP that this had to be a local. Because this, you know, if the other place wasn't remote enough, this is even more remote. There's, somebody has to have known this road existed to get it here. So they focused their search in a small town called Clearwater that was kind of close by to the locations of all of the events of this crime. They eventually get a tip from someone saying that there was a man who had inquired about how to re-register a Ford pickup and repair a bullet hole in its door. And this man lived only three miles from the scene and police became real suspicious because they had never released the information about a bullet hole to the public. Oh, okay. So, and after the break, we will dive oh. into this interesting development. Just getting good. Okay. Are you ready to hear about this guy? Yes. Okay. RCMP found out this man is David Shearing. He's a 24, not a 24-year-old. 24. But he, he should be fearful. 24-year-old local guy. He comes from a good family. His dad, who, <clears throat> side note, has passed away, was a prison guard and his brother is a sheriff. He himself had graduated from high school and passed a heavy mechanic course, which, from what I could gather, is someone who works on heavy-duty machinery. Because when okay. I read that, I was like, what is heavy mechanic? Like, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. He Forklifts. actually... Yeah, exactly. Just Which, I'm sure, there's lots of heavy-duty machinery in this forest kind of area. He had actually been questioned by police early on in the investigation because his family farm was so close to the crime and but they didn't have anything linking to him they were just like going around questioning everybody that kind of lived in that area and ironically the gun that he had used to kill them was like sitting on the wall in the house they didn't know because they were like what? questioning him outside and talking to him outside and people had like kind of given them crap like why didn't you seize and they were like well we didn't go in their house we didn't see it and that would just be like me walking up to anybody and saying give me your gun i need to test it which at the time they had nothing linking and they were just talking to this person who lived in the area so <clears throat> when they had found out and gotten that tip from somebody who knew him david was due in court in a couple days for possession of stolen property and he had also had a slight history of assault and drug possession so when he showed up he was taken in for his court hearing. He was taken into custody. And when he was first taken into custody, he thought it was for a hit and run that happened two years earlier. 
because he had apparently run over somebody and just kept on going and never confirmed if the person had lived or not, like two years before this. And somebody was in the car with him that, like, was there when it happened. So, anyway. Did they live? No, that person died. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, he thought it was for this. So, immediately, he just was like, yep, okay, I did this, whatever. (gasps) Oh. Anyway. Dude. Really not even on the police radar. (laughs) They're more like, want to talk about this Johnson-Bentley murder. So while being questioned, they talk about the murders of this family. And he brings up how they were murdered in Bear Creek. Which, the exact location of where they were was not released. They had been saying they were camping in the Wells Park, Wells Gray Provincial Park. I have a really hard time saying that entire thing. I don't know why. I, like, screw up the order of the words all the time. (laughs) So they were like, okay, now here we go. We know it was this guy because we didn't say that's where they were. So they eventually, and through questioning him, get him to confess to the murders. He tells them that he saw the family camping when he was on his way home from work one day, and he said he just wanted to rob them. So he shot the four adults as they (gasps) sat around the campfire. And the two girls in the tent while they were asleep. Oh, my God. Says he put all the bodies in the car and set, them on, set it on fire and then took the truck, the truck camper to his property and kept it for a while before deciding to set it on fire because it was harder than he thought to get it re-registered. He also oh said that he... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, but you... You're going to have to hold on to your pants here because it's not, this isn't even over. He said he cleaned up the campsite and supplied the police with the rifle that he used, which they matched to the rest of the evidence through forensic testing. So, you know, they know, okay, this guy did it. He just handed us over the rifle. Great. He was arrested on November 19th, 1983. He waived his right to a preliminary hearing on January 19th of 1984 And his trial began on April 16th, 1984. On the day his trial started, he decided to plead guilty instead of going through it as a trial. So he pled guilty to six counts of second-degree murder, and he provided a written statement of the events of the crime, basically what I just told you. Okay. But for whatever reason, the investigators that had been working on the case did not believe that what he was saying, uh, how the crime occurred, was actually the truth. But it was accepted by the courts because they had no other evidence to prove that it wasn't accurate. So they just accepted his and they had the forensics and the rifle and it. They knew he did it. They just didn't believe that the way he did it was how it happened. So the judge was appalled by these seemingly cold-blooded, senseless murders. And on April 17th, the judge sentenced him to six concurrent life sentences with no chance of parole for 25 years. 25. Yeah, that's not We're a six lot. Murders. Because, well, first of all, he murdered six people in cold blood. This was the maximum sentence for a second, second degree murder. Second degree, I would imagine. Yeah, okay. But, and it was the first time in Canadian history that it had been handed down. So that was like a big thing. But the shocking thing was that it was made concurrent, which means yeah. they're all served at the same time. Like, it should have been yeah. consecutive. That would not in my opinion. Here. In the U.S., no. that would not happen. Right. Yeah. Totally should have been consecutive. So the main investigator, who did not believe all those details that he had provided, 
went to go see him while he was in prison and said, all right, come on, give me the truth. Tell me now. Like, you're in prison. You've been convicted. Give it to me straight. So David was like, okay. Now, be warned. This is where you need to hold on to your pants. And this is much worse than the original confession. He saw the family camping when he was coming home from work, and he watched them for a few days. He said that he had a strong urge to have sex with the two little girls, Janet and Karen. No, I knew it. On August 10th, he went to the campsite with his rifle and shot Bob, then Jackie, then George, and last Edith. The girls were in the tent all ready for bed, and he opened it up and told the girls there was a dangerous biker gang in the area and that their parents had run to get help. So they, he was like, stay in the tent. So while the girls were in the tent, he put the bodies in the car and covered them with a blanket in the back seat. And then he crawled into the tent with the girls. Oh, gosh. He kept the girls alive for almost a week. Oh, my He brought gosh. them mm-hmm, to his ranch and to a small fishing ca- cabin on the Clearwater River and repeatedly raped them throughout the week. While at the cabin, a prison guard knocked on the door because he was there with some prisoners, local prisoners, fishing. And he just wanted to let the people that happened to be living in this area or in that cabin specifically know that they were there not to be alarmed. Like, we're just here. And David had the girls hidden behind the door and had told them to keep quiet. So this prison guard is literally right there. Oh, my gosh. The next day, because he almost got caught, he moved them to his family farm. And then on August 16th, he took Karen out for a walk. And while they were out, he asked her to turn around so he could go to the bathroom. And he shot her in the back of the head while she was turned around. He did the same thing with Janet the next day on August 17th. And then he took them to the car and put them in the trunk and set the car on fire. The investigator who had been talking to him did verify the story by finding that prison guard and who remembered that day just as David had said. <gasps> and he was so close to the girls and didn't even know it. And they could have survived had just something tipped that guard off. But he said nothing seemed out of the ordinary. He was just this guy in a cabin and he was just letting them know they were there. So... The same investigator later wrote a book about this case called The Seventh Shadow, if anybody wants to look into it. I'm actually thinking about getting it because apparently he goes into even more detail about this case. But I don't know. I haven't, haven't, haven't bought it yet. I haven't pulled the trigger, but I'm kind of interested. So a couple of things happened. So first of all, what a piece, right? I mean, yes, disgusting. He should have gotten even more time had he and actually told. And there's nothing told- they can do. Right? No. Because he has already no. been convicted. He's already been sentenced. Right. Exactly. And But had that all come out, had they been able to get that all out of him, I mean, I feel like... You're talking about rape convictions, kidnapping convictions. Yes. The book. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So while he's in prison, a few things happen. He changes his name because clearly he doesn't want to be known as David Shearing anymore, I guess. I don't know. You can do whatever. that in prison? I mm, think, yeah. So he changes his name to Ennis, which is his mother's maiden name. So now he's known as David Ennis, but everybody knows who the heck he is. He also somehow meets a woman named Heather in 1993 while he's in prison. She's from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) You've always wanted to say that? Yeah, I have. Okay. (laughs) I was hoping it would come up in the story sometime. (laughs) 
Today's a big got, day. It is, this is a big day. Thanks. Do you want to say it again? Saskatchewan. <laughs> Soak it in, people. They get married in mm-hmm. 1995. Like, what? Like, first of all, number one, what is Heather thinking? There's like, always a Heather. Mm-hmm. Second, why is this allowed? Like, why is this guy in murder? I mean, not, he's not in murder. He's in prison for six murders. Six you murders. Get, Good grief. Right. And so you get to live a normal life in prison and get married, like meet a woman and get married. Come on. Like, mm-mm. that's that's true. It happens all the time. I know. I, I know that. And I understand that there's this like weirdos out there that like search for people in prison on like websites yes. and stuff. But why? But why? Why do they let them get married? I don't understand. It's true. I don't know. It's weird. So he is currently in Bowdoin Institute near Red Deer, Alberta, and he's 61 years old. He was first eligible for parole in 2008, which he was denied because they felt he was still a dangerous person to be put back into society. And he was also denied again in 2012. There had, there had been a petition signed by 15,000 people to stop his release. 15,000 people. Wow. Yeah. He then withdraws his application in 2014 and 2016 and doesn't even attempt to get out. He's eligible for, for parole again in July of 2021. So three months from now. Yes. They currently have a petition again online and I went to it um, and that the last day for to sign it is actually April 15th. So if y'all want to go out and go yes, find the <laughs> change.org, find the petition for David Shearing slash Ennis, because as of the day that we are recording, which is today, they had just under 83,000 signatures. <laughs> so, wow. So I truly hope that they deny this man parole. I again. feel like they will, yes. Oh my goodness. And they're still yeah. married? He's still married? They're still married, them? and she believes that he deserves to have a second chance. Does she think he's innocent? Changed. He confessed. Uh, no, I think she thinks he's changed. Oh. That he's, you know, realized that that's not something you should do. But, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. Did this dude have no history of... No. No, I mean, wow. besides like small little things like they said, they said assault and drug stuff. Yeah. I don't think that any of it was like he wasn't arrested for any of it. I think it was just all alleged allegations or whatever. But he did kill that guy by running over him yeah, that he right. confessed to when he got anyway and had was supposed to go to jail or court for those. Um, stolen property, which was like a bunch of tools or something like that that he had had. So he wasn't like a great person, but I don't think he had done this. Yes. The children. Yeah. Don't go camping. No. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we like to camp, but you do. No, it makes me, and we haven't done it in forever, but it makes me not want to. No. No. <laughs> the whole situation just seems very unsafe to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Gross. Gross. Kristen, thanks. 
Thank you, Kristen. I tell you what, man, she's come up with some bombshells recently. I feel like this is not our first suggestion no. from Kristen. Yeah, okay. I think you did one from Kristen. I do before. too. It yeah. was and also a Canadian case. Oh, are you Canadian, yeah. Kristen? Are you? Kristen. <laughs> She'll tell us. She listens, so she's gonna I know. tell us. <laughs> yes. Okay. That was nuts. Gross. Mm. I didn't like it. I don't like when we talk about kids. I know. I know. I I don't like to either. I well in this in this sense. I don't like to. When yeah, it, they exactly. he held them for that time. Oof. Did oh my things. goodness. Okay, so I hope that his marriage fails. Mm -hmm. same (laughs) and he always gets rotten beef stew in prison what do they serve in canada i don't know (laughs) bread and butter (laughs) well i hope that your butter is spoiled and your bread is rotten (laughs) mold gross moldy bread all the moldy bread to you thank you for the story Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thank you're you, welcome. Kristen, for the suggestion. It is so nice to see you guys this week. Happy Monday. Happy mm-hmm. April. Happy spring. I know. Summer's just around the corner. It hey. is. We are in pollen fog here in North Carolina. Demon pollen fog, that's what I call it. So I hope that you guys are having some good weather, better than ours, and that you are checking us out on social media because I know Christy is going to post some amazing photos of this case. Mm -hmm. Yes. She's nodding. I got a lot. She has some. So check us out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter ish. (laughs) (laughs) We're not very good at keeping that up. We're real bad at that. So Mm -hmm. Instagram, first of all, and we've always got a merch page for you guys. If you want to check out some of our merch, if you want to hold on to your pants and you want to tell the world that Crumbs and Closets told you to hold on to your pants, please go on our merch site and buy a shirt because we have one mm-hmm. that says that amongst other things. And thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.